Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the extreme. Okay, so cool. Today on the show we have uh, my friend Andy McDonald. And uh, I first met Andy when uh, I was part of the Bristol High Performance Squad. And he was the uh, preventative injury mobility physio kind of guy so Andy just describe to us your role and and what you're doing sure yeah so um currently I'm actually living in Philadelphia in the United States um where I'm kind of re-qualifying as a physio in America at Temple University um where my UK qualifications don't quite count so uh I'm going back to school at the moment and doing another three years of uh, education so how come America, like, why not, Can is it not further education in the UK or is it just better out in America? Um, it was a life decision, to be honest. Um, I qualified as a PT or physio in the UK a few years ago, um, met my American girlfriend, um, decided as a kind of life decision to move to the States and then looked into the whole process of could I qualify or could I license here essentially? and see patients. Um, but unfortunately for me, they changed their system. So, um, there is other ways to go around it, but the quickest way to practice here is actually just to do the three years of education again. So that kind of brings me to my, um, my current classroom environment. Sick. So does it vary much from your training in the UK? Um, I think mostly it's the same. It's, it's a very similar syllabus and what you're learning is in is in essence the same. I think there's a few subtle differences between the kind of logistics of the profession in the UK and America. So the profession here didn't always, uh, it wasn't always regarded as a doctorate, which it is now, and it's not in the UK. Um, and doctors or medical doctors would essentially give a physio or PT or physical therapist, as they call them here, um, a script or a prescription and a, a piece of advice for what they want them to do with the patients. So the patients themselves couldn't actually go straight to a physio. So what they've done is they've created a, created a doctorate system. So they've made it, I guess, academically quite a lot harder than the UK. Follows the same topics and subjects, but they've just gone into more detail um, to kind of warrant making it a doctorate by title. So it's, yeah, it, it's mostly the same, but they just go into a bit more academic detail. Um I don't yet know, because I'm still doing the educational part, I don't know if they're better on average clinically, but definitely the academic part is harder. Okay, and so for the listeners and those who don't understand what a physio entail, you basically help with the mobility of muscular pain and things like that, isn't it? Yeah, I guess the the best way to look at it more is around function. So... um, physios can really or physiotherapists can work quite quite broadly in healthcare so you could be dealing with neurological patients respiratory patients um orthopedic mental health um there's quite a wide array of areas that physio will work in i think a lot of people when they think of physio think of a musculoskeletal um sports environment where people with you know knee pain or kind of common aches and pains will go and see somebody um, and typically get quite manual interventions. So a, a therapist using their hands to help treat the problem. Um, and then a lot of it really, regardless of the setting, is concerned with rehab. 
So, you know, using exercise commonly as the modality to try and fix the problem. Okay. And what's the difference between a physio and an osteopath? To be honest, I'm not overly clued up on the sort of osteopathic school of thought. Um, I guess osteopathic medicine is relatively similar to chiropractic as a school of thought. Um, I think that the, the sort of the stereotype is it's more involved with um, uh, joints, discs, nerves, and spines. Um, I might be completely wrong on that, but it what you tend to find is that the the sort of physiotherapy model sits closer or or more accepted research wise with um, the medical doctors. So classically in healthcare, people will see a physio because insurance policies and uh, and doctors will refer to them. And they're also working with the NHS if you're in the UK, um, whereas osteopaths and chiropractors are typically more privatised. Okay, cool. And you, and you predominantly work with a lot of sportsmen or and women. I have, yeah. I mean, um, I I kind of came across physios first in my life in a sports context. So my decision to become a physio was purely driven through sport, um, and then later on I realised that you could work in broader areas of healthcare, but yeah, I kind of went into it interested in the sports aspects and, um, and, and that stayed the same throughout. What sport did you do that sort of got you into the uh, physio mind of thinking? Yeah. So I kind of, I jumped around a little bit in terms of my career getting into physio. Um, you know, I, I remember years ago, actually somebody said you should be a physio and I, it was Dave Rowland, our, um, our mutual mentor and guide on most things. And, um, <laughs> he said you should be a physio and at the time I was working at uh, Bristol Rugby as a strength conditioning intern um, and when he said you should be a physio I kind of turned my nose up at it and said well I'm not interested in that and um, I guess through ignorance just showed no interest in it carried on working in rugby at Bristol Rugby and um, I came across a really interesting physio there called Richard Mack um, whose knowledge on physio rehab athletic performance strength and conditioning you know the whole kind of wider aspects of physical performance um he was just so knowledgeable and I think that was what kind of intrigued me and got me into physio so it was initially in a rugby context yeah it's interesting you say that because whenever I've uh had to go to you for treatment I uh I find it like it's like black magic the way you can just diagnose what's wrong with me and I always find your innate knowledge of the body is just really really fascinating like I love the idea of knowing so much about what connects to what and all these different you know issues that uh, arise with different symptoms and I find that so fascinating. Yeah I think um, you know I'm still very early on in my career as a physio so um you know, my ability to, di- to diagnose and understand the body is still, it's still in its infancy. And I think, I think the profession probably is as well, to be honest. Um, it sits in a strange place where part of what we do is this kind of old school, um, hands-on therapeutic way of treating the body. Um, and then increasingly and more, more recently and more modern times with it, I guess, it's become more scientific and it's kind of affiliated itself with this evidence-based practice model um which is across healthcare so it's it's in this kind of i guess uncomfortable spot where it's it's part holistic and it's part scientific so we there's a lot of things that we do that we know work through experience or trial and error um, and there's some stuff we do that we know works through evidence 
but it's it's quite a hard thing to navigate your way through because you're you're dealing with concrete things anecdotal things and and i guess occasionally your intuition and your hunches so um it's it's a really kind of complex model to navigate your way through as a as a clinician when you're working with patients yeah i can imagine like it's interesting how it closely links with s and c where you you know have a particular method that allows you to achieve a, a particular performance but in the snc it's often like this exercise to increase this amount of strength but with physio it's almost rather than strength or performance it's mobility and overall improvement of biomechanics and i find that very very interesting like i really enjoy that because for me particularly i've always gymmed i've always you know done martial arts and stuff but it wasn't really until I started taking mobility particularly seriously that I started to see significant leaps and bounds in my overall performance. Yeah, and I think you're, if I hope you don't mind me saying, you're probably quite classic of a lot of athletes or, or people in general that train in a certain style and can train very hard and can push themselves very well as well. But it takes, I think, occasionally an injury or a slight setback in your physical performance before you kind of consider all those other areas. Until until you have your first injury, uh, you can almost be a little bit invincible. And then I think you have an injury, it's a huge setback. Um, it's really frustrating. But I think uh, if you deal with it the right way mentally, what you tend to see is that those injuries uncover aspects of training that you haven't considered or they they highlight areas for opportunity as much as they're a problem at the time they actually give you quite a lot of valuable information which if used well and and factored into your your rehab and your programming will probably make you stronger and better than ever before and I think if you look at most famous and, and high level athletes it's very rare that they haven't had those injuries and accumulated knowledge from those sort of injuries and opportunities. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Like I'm definitely one of those, one of those people where just push and push, push, hit a barrier. And then, yeah, it was you and Dave combined. And I really went, Oh, there's a lot more to this. Um, But yeah, and I find it really, really interesting how, it all connects and it's all like even nutrition and physio and snc they're all they're all combined together to create this sort of output of sublime you know sporting performance but i think people often neglect like they didn't realize how bad it is sitting in a chair for so long um so i can imagine that you get a lot of people who are crippled by their day-to-day habits as much as their sport yeah i mean i've heard i've heard a um a sort of little soundbite recently of people saying that sitting's the new smoking which makes me laugh um but it but it, you know it's not entirely wrong i think and, and i can i can definitely sympathize this recently in my life because i've gone from spending most of my day standing up treating uh, patients or being in the gym coaching to sitting in what can only be described as a typical university cheap chair um, with a lack of back support. And, you know, it only took me 10, 12 weeks or something of being in classes and doing exams again before, you know, I had a slightly achy back, tight hips. Um, I wasn't moving as well in my own training. And, you know, see, when I think about that with my knowledge and I guess the the recipes I've got to try and get rid of that in my own body, and then I think about, you know, average Joe in an office job with, you know, a 10 
maybe 12 hour day or whatever they work um, five days a week. And then they drive to work, drive home, maybe sit around at times on the weekend as well. It's a real uphill battle um, with regards to that one area of your health. So yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah it's definitely a, you know, it's a modern problem and it's not going to go away. Um, but I, but I think hopefully people become more um, aware of it and um, take on more kind of creative solutions like, you know, walking to work or um, taking the time to walk around in, the, in their day-to-day lives or taking breaks, moving, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, definitely the little things make quite a big difference. Um, when someone comes to you with an issue, how do you diagnose someone? Like, obviously, we look at doctors and they give you symptoms and stuff, but it must be quite hard to when there's no sort of physical symptoms uh, in a like I don't know someone might have a rash or a cold or something when it comes to medicine. But with physio, it must be much much harder to diagnose someone with a particular ailment. What tends to happen is when you when you're new to that um, side of the job or you're new to the industry, um, you haven't seen many conditions, we haven't seen many injuries or patterns. So what's quite hard is somebody comes to you, they describe, uh, say, some symptoms and a problem, and you immediately have this kind of subconscious bias where your brain is trying to figure out what's going wrong and trying to link what they're saying to something that's fresh on your mind or something that you've seen or heard or read. Um, The thing that's hard about diagnostics is kind of parking those thoughts at the back of your mind and then sticking to what you've been taught, which is this it's kind of it's like a thought tree or a flowchart. You just try and ask certain questions and get certain pieces of information. And then when you kind of physically assess a patient, what you're doing is you're just trying to find out initially what structures are involved. Is this a bone and joint issue? Is this a muscular problem? Is it a nerve issue? Um, you know, the list goes on. But you're just trying to rule in which structure do I think is involved and which one isn't involved. And it's a funnel. You're just trying to gradually narrow down the potential for what it could be until you've got a list of problems or a slightly more refined idea of what's going on. So I guess that's, simplistically, that's what the diagnostic process is. Um, I don't think there's ever going to be an expectation for somebody to say their symptoms and a physio click their fingers and know exactly what's going wrong. Um, Occasionally, you'll get to the the problem very quickly in your own mind, but there's there's a very methodical process that you're taught and I think you develop as time goes on. And I mean, you know, I mean, I've only worked two years clinically before going back into education. So, you know, I think I've, I've been relatively effective in my two years, but still definitely developing those skills and probably will forever more be. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know when I first came to you, I couldn't lift my arms above my head. <laughs> it took a while, but we got there in the end. <laughs> I remember, yeah, you came in and you weren't quite bipedal. Um, but that, that changed quite quickly for you. That was only a few weeks, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. And so for treatment, you use a combination of like manual manipulation and exercise. Yeah, so I think um, every physio, definitely in kind of the environment I was working in with in um, musculoskeletal and kind of sport, will have their own bags of tricks, biases, skill sets, and their way of treating certain problems. And I think the interesting thing is you could see two physios for the same problem, and they both might treat you differently. And they both might work equally. So it's quite a, that's why it's an imperfect science, I guess. Um, I think because I was a, essentially a gym rat and working in strength and conditioning prior to physio, I would be the first to admit that I have a bias 
to look at movement loading and um kind of exercise i guess as my um as my wheelhouse for how i treat patients um you know maybe if i'd worked in sports science before i'd look more physiologically but yeah i tend to have a bias and preference for looking at um biomechanics exercise and loading for how i treat people i think that's quite interesting as well because i i think obviously movement is so important to you know being a human and like often if you're moving incorrectly that's only going to exacerbate problems but do you think your your background and your what your continued training linked to your strength and conditioning has really helped your physio and 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 your like how you treat other people god yeah definitely i mean um dave roland actually um who was my other than life mentor i guess my strength conditioning mentor um first and foremost he kind of described it really eloquently and said that it's a continuum where if you imagine far left you've got person is on their backside and broken and to the absolute far right you've got them uh fixed injury wise and back to high performance so i think being able to work as a physio or training as a physio working as a physio has given me knowledge on that far left and then previously working as a strength and conditioning coach has given me that kind of far right view of it as well so i think my physio helps my strength and conditioning and my strength and conditioning definitely helps my physio so um i guess the area that i think i'm probably um better suited to is the middle ground in between where you're rehabbing um patients um just because i guess i can speak both languages for sure what is uh the more of a common injury that you you know people come to you to to sort out i guess it depends on which environment you work in for me um when i was working at bristol uni um a lot of the patients were rowers um i guess you know they were training a lot they were they were rowers sorry and they were lower back injuries classically so they would come in and they had high training load sitting a lot high stress with school they're all classically um doing you know with rowers quite intense academic subjects so quite demanding on their lifestyle and their bodies really so yeah lower backs for rowers um with rugby you're seeing a lot of shoulders and um a sort of lateral ankle sprain so a rolled ankle um you get i think with rugby especially you can get anything you know because they just batter themselves on the field um but yeah i guess lower backs and ankle injuries are probably the most common ones um but you know anything can walk through the door really sports wise a lot of runners with knee with knee niggles um classically from um not great technique or uh running a little bit too far and fast too soon and having training spikes but those would be the kind of most common ones, really. Well, is there anything that you personally do on a daily basis to ensure you're, you know, mobile and able to train? I guess it depends on my lifestyle at the time. Um, when I was working uh, back in the UK before I moved out here, um, I was always in a physio clinic and I was always next to a gym or in a gym. So I always had foam rollers next to me, space, uh, space to stretch. Um, you know, it was so easy for me to... Um, look after the nuts and bolts and do the things like foam rolling and stretching that I needed to do to kind of help recover and kind of keep my movement clean. Um, I've become average Joe since I moved to America with my lifestyle and I have less time and less accessibility to those things in the day. So I tend to try and do it more time efficiently now and just do a very good warm up, really make sure I think about what I'm doing and look after my body in those warm ups. Um, uh, I definitely do the the sort of healthy stuff like foam rolling and stretching a lot less often now, admittedly. 
So I just try and um, factor it into my training programs, maybe stretch in between sets and just try and fit as much into a, a shorter time frame, really. What is, what is your opinion on foam rolling and like using a lacrosse ball and things? Because uh, I find a lot of people like swear by it, say it's incredible, like everything, you know, helps all the whole movement. But other people say it's like massively overhyped and it's really just a bit of, you know, sort of holistic bollocks really yeah it's not I've, I've been really looking into this recently um so i have given people foam rolling and uh, foam rolling and lacrosse balls if you put that under the same umbrella of kind of self-release trigger pointing foam yeah. rolling if we if we chuck that under the same umbrella term um I've, I've given that stuff out to a lot of people and i've seen it do good things i've tried it myself and it's worked well um so anecdotally i like it and i use it um, and apply it to others uh, if you actually look at the research the research is still quite inconclusive on it um so you get kind of two polarizing views you get people that swear by it and then you get people who will point to the research and say yeah like you said uh, overhyped overinflated views um no proof no one knows that it works or how it works um a lot of the evidence says that it only has a short-term effect on range of movement, if any. But I, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing. I've been looking at recently kind of mobility systems to try and put into an app. And so I've really kind of dug into the research and I've really looked into it and, and questioned myself thinking, you know, am I just wrong? Is this actually not as good as it seems? Um, do we understand it? And just ask some quite hard questions, I guess, um, against my own preference for using it. But... I think however the science and the literature comes out, if it if it makes you feel better and that makes you believe or um, sense that your movement or body is feeling better moving, then I'm okay with that. If that's if it's all wishy-washy anecdotal stuff, but it seems to work, then it and, and it works for one person, that person should absolutely do it. Um, I'm personally going to carry on using it until, um, or if ever more more evidence and research comes out saying you know it's a load of rubbish yeah i i'm definitely in the camp of swear by it like i if i find if i do a, a good foam roll and lacrosse, a lacrosse ball then when i come to stretch afterwards i can i can stretch like three times as far i swear down <laughs> yeah and i mean you know i if i think back like the first time somebody told me to foam roll they didn't say this is going to improve your range of movement loads i think dave just said jump on this um, without much of an explanation, um, I jumped on one of them. Um, my range felt better and I squatted deeper. I think it was when I did a, a release on my hip with a lacrosse ball. Um, so I kind of, I didn't go into it with any high hopes or expectation. I didn't know why he was getting me to do it. This is years ago. Um, but all I knew is the next minute I squatted deeper and my hips felt smoother during that movement. So I, I kind of, I guess I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit with it. Um, I'm going to carry on using it. I'm going to carry on giving it to people. Um, I think if someone doesn't believe in it and they don't want to do it, I'm never going to force them to do it. Um, Cause I kind of think if you think it's going to work, it probably will. And if you think it won't, then it's probably not going to work. But I, I, I really see the value in it. Um, it's very cheap. I think whether it improves range of motion in the long run, um, you know, I don't think anything does. If I do a couple of stretches that doesn't improve my range of movement for a certain joint or muscle forever. So if I, have restricted hips let's say and that's preventing me from squatting um smoothly and comfortably at a deep range and 
I jump on a lacrosse ball or a foam roller and I specifically target the muscles in the areas that need some work or I think need some work. And then a few minutes later, I can squat deeper. The, fa the, the fact that those effects are maybe short lived, if that gives me a window of time where I can move better, then I can train better, I can load up better and I can, I can get those kind of structural and physical changes to my body that I would have been inhibited from getting had I not done that process. So short term or long term, I don't care. I think if it creates a window that's effective, then I'm going to jump on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what do you train at the moment as yourself? Are you mainly a gym gym rat or is there other things on in your life as well? Um, I would say at the moment I'm a 100% pure breed gym rat and I'm just <laughs> enjoying training for training's sake. Um, I read up on training and injuries and all sorts of things uh, in specific contexts and certain sports um, through my professional interest and just passion. But for myself, I actually just like to get in the gym and throw some weights around, move a little bit, work out and, uh, and enjoy the process. I, I don't I wouldn't say I kind of just went in and went through the motions, but. Um, you know, I'm not training for anything specifically at the moment other than just enjoying my training. But you lift big. Like, do you, is it mainly like strength training that you work on or is it hypertrophy or everything like that? Predominantly uh, strength. I guess the system I typically use for myself is I get in the gym, I warm up, get my, temp my body temperature up, get myself moving and loosened up, um, do a few stability areas in the, in the places that I think I need them. So if it was a lower body day, I'm probably going to look at, um, ankles, knees, and hips to try and stabilize those or do some, do some controlled work through them and then try and go relatively heavy and, you know, low reps on some big lifts. And then at the end of the session, I'll just chuck in some variety, some accessory work, and I guess more hypertrophy and, um, you know, like three sets of 10 classics, uh, for different exercises. And then also when you're dealing with people, uh, surely you have to build a bit of sort of a relationship with someone or a rapport in order to help treat them make them feel relaxed is, is that an important side to being a physio it's one of the most important qualities every physio or coach or anyone should work on um you can have all the science and all the experience all the knowledge um if you don't get on with that patient or or athlete then and they're not going to listen to you or they don't buy into what you're telling them it's all wasted anyway so i think being able to get on with people immediately, build rapport. Definitely in a physio context, gives you, uh, gives them comfort and trust around you. And then you can, you can ask quite probing questions that you probably do need to know about their health and their lifestyle. So I think, yeah, um, your, your ability to form relationships, communicate is, is the most important thing, really. Um, you need the technical know-how and, and the experience, but um, first things first, you've got to be, you know, just good with people. Now, I know, I understand that you're probably bound by some kind of confidentiality but have you ever had an incredibly awkward moment when treating someone in physio um yeah i can't think any on the top of my head um yeah i think you know you have moments where you everyone's probably can relate to this you've done a treatment and your intentions for it not to necessarily hurt the person but they've found it painful or um you, somebody you know you do a treatment it all goes smoothly um they appear when you reassess them at the end of the appointment to be doing better and then you know sometimes people do come back to you a week later and say it's got worse actually um that's <laughs> quite awkward because you know i was if, especially if you work in a private sector um people are paying most of the time 
um, out of their own money to see you. So you really want to help fix them because A, that's why you do the job and B, if they're paying you, you not that it doesn't matter if they're not paying, but you just feel very obliged to try and fix them um, as well as you can. So inevitably that can happen occasionally and that's that's really awkward. Um, you're always striving for that not to happen, of course, but you know, I, I won't say that I'm the world's most perfect physio and that's never happened to me. Um, and yeah, you do feel awkward when, when patients come to you and say that. And finally, before we wrap up, you have your own Instagram account, don't you? And uh, it's, was it Andy McDonald Performance? So Andy McDonald Performance, if you put a couple of spaces in it on Instagram. And that's a main, your collection of uh, like physio to help you know bring out performance and sportsmen and the like yeah i guess um i've thought about setting up an instagram account and being current a long time ago and didn't do it mainly i guess just through um effort and probably like a lot of people i didn't want to put my opinions out there and get trolled for it or get ripped by people i know or criticized so i kind of just didn't get around to doing it for a while and then I had a, a really good patient and, or client, I guess, um, called Matt, who rode the Atlantic recently, who was probably the last athlete I worked with just before I came out to the States back in sort of April, May, June time. And he just said to me a few times, why have you not got an Instagram? And I guess he was the kind of kick up the ass I needed to um, just to set one up and try it out. And it's been going pretty well. Um, I haven't had, you know, any terrible moments of feedback yet or or um, no one's laid into me yet for it. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it, actually. I think whilst I'm in the States and I'm studying, I'm, the stuff I'm learning is very textbook. Um, and I really miss those kind of practical, real moments or or current topics that I would normally get to deal with in the gym or in the, in the clinic. So being on Instagram and trying to write a bit of a blog and doing all the social media stuff, it just allows me to still feel relevant, I guess. So if you'd like to follow Andy, definitely check him out on Instagram uh, and I'm sure he'll be able to give you some advice if you need. But um, yeah, Andy, really appreciate you coming on the show. Like, it's been awesome. No, thanks for having me on. It's, um, it's been good to catch up. All right, cheers, dude. See you till next Cheers, Connor. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brain Dump. Um, if you are a sports person uh, and you need advice, definitely check out Andy. I know that he has big things on the horizon. Uh, and also, if you'd like to get on the show and discuss the topic of your choosing, just hit me up on Instagram at CJBanny or check out the uh, Brain Dump Facebook group. Cheers. All right. Till next time, guys.